Thank you, praise team. Give them a big hand, would you? Appreciate them. They work really hard through the week to lead us in worship and got our own Noah Ward up here filling in today. Give Noah a big hand. Appreciate him. Does a great job. Uh, Along with uh, most of the rest of our college students, he'll be going back to school uh, here this week. So pray for our kids as they get back uh, in the groove of, of going to school. Hey, if, if you could have just one verse engraved on your tombstone, <laughs> I know that's kind of a morbid thought, but, but think about it. If you could only have one verse engraved, which verse would you choose? Or, or let me ask the same question in a different way. If, if you could only pick one verse and have that verse inscribed and framed and placed in a prominent place in your own home, which verse would you pick? Or maybe a better question than that would be this one. If you could only pick one single verse and have that verse as your life verse for 2019, a verse that you started every day reading and you ended every day reading, what verse would you pick? Well, may I suggest out of the 31,102 verses in the Bible, you probably couldn't pick a better one than the one that we're going to look at this morning. It's found in Galatians chapter 2, and it's verse number 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. I'm going to be reading it out of the old version, the King James, because that's uh, where I remember first reading this verse and memorizing it from. And so read along with me or listen to me as I read this verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak that verse into our hearts. And as I speak on the outside, I pray that you would speak on the inside. Lord, teach us this morning what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I can remember first hearing this verse when I was just a kid, and then later as a teenager, I memorized this verse. And so for the past 40 plus years, I have been thinking about rereading and pondering this verse. Yet I can tell you in those 40 years, I have not yet plumbed the depths of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I knew a couple of weeks ago that today I needed to preach this verse to you. And I'll just be up front and tell you that this is a tough verse. I mean, it's a great verse to recite. It's a wonderful verse to say and to hear. But to actually flesh it out and live out Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is a tough thing. Okay. You've got to man up if you want to live out Galatians 2.20. You've got to woman up if you're going to do what this verse tells us to do. So over the past couple of weeks as I've been contemplating it, I believe there are three configurations given in this verse that describe the Christian life. And the first one is this. He talks about the crucified life. In fact, those are words that Paul uses in Galatians 2.20. He said, I am have been crucified with Christ. Now, just exactly what was he referring to? What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Well, I, I'm, I believe it means something like this. That you and I come to a point in our life where we stand underneath the cross of Jesus Christ. And we look up at that cross and we realize 
all that the cross of Jesus Christ means to us personally. And we see the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, hanging on that cross. The nails were driven into his hands. The spike was driven into his ankles. The crown of thorn was placed on his head. And his precious blood dripped from his body on planet earth. And as we stand there looking up at the cross of Jesus Christ, we are moved deeply in our hearts. And because of that, we turn aside from the kind of life that we have been living and we take a stand beneath the cross of Jesus Christ. We die to our old selves. We die to our sin. We die to this world. We die to the flesh. We die to the devil. And we live unto the cross of Jesus Christ. As he died on the cross for our sins, so we die to our own self. When James Culvert was going out to be a missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands, as soon as they got to the Fiji Islands and were about to leave off of that boat, the captain of the ship said to him, don't go. You're going to lose your life and you're going to lose the lives of those who are with you among such savages. To which Calvert only replied, oh, we died long before now. Been crucified with Christ. Someone asked the German Christian George Mueller the secret of victorious Christian living. And here's what Mueller said. There came a day when George Mueller died. I mean, he utterly died. No longer did his own desires or preferences or tastes come first. He knew that from then on, Christ must be all in all. You crucify yourself. You die to self. I like the way Dr. Ed Young put it. He said the secret of Christian victory is that you've got to die to yourself every day. He said, I mean that you need to put 220 volts to your body every day. By that, he smiled and said, I mean by that Galatians 2.20. That's the verse, that's the volt that you need to put to your life every day. I am crucified with Christ. I can, it's just tough, isn't it? It's tough to die to self. It's tough to die to your own ideals, your own pleasures, your own goals in your own life. But to live for Jesus, just as he died on the cross, you must die to self. I love this uh, sign in the window of a dry cleaning and dye business, all right? So we're looking at a, a dry cleaning business that also dyed clothes. And here's what their, their motto was. We die to live. We live to die. The more we die, the more we live. And the more we live the more we die. <laughs> well, I think if you change the D-Y-E to D-I-E, you've got a pretty good slogan for the Christian. We die to live. We live to die. The more we die, the more we live. And the more we live, the more we die. And if you want to see this fleshed out, I think there's a pretty good story in Acts chapter 20 and 21 that describes this to you. And out of that story comes a little phrase that we need to be saying in our own life. Over in Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul was headed to Jerusalem. 
He knew he was supposed to go there. The Lord spoke to him and said, go to Jerusalem. He also knew what was going to happen to him if he arrived in Jerusalem. He was going to be arrested, beaten, put in prison, and he could even be put to death because of his testimony for Christ. And he was driven to go to Jerusalem. But his friends, those with him, Luke who wrote the book of Acts in particular, didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem. They knew also what would happen to him. And they were with the brothers in the church of Ephesus. And the brothers at Ephesus even implored him, don't go. It's going to be bad for you if you go. Please, Paul, don't go. And so all of his, his cohorts, all of his friends were pleading with him not to go. But Paul was going. I mean, he was a Baptist preacher. His mind was made up. And as a backdrop to that, we get to chapter 21 of Acts. Look at verse number 3. I think I have it on the screen. It says, After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo, finding disciples there. That is, finding other followers of Jesus there. We stayed for seven days. And through the Spirit... These believers urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we continued on our way. So now there are others pleading with Paul, Paul, don't go. Bad things are going to happen if you go there. And then in verse 10 of chapter 21, we, we read that they had finally reached the port at Caesarea Philippi. And it says this, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet a man by the name of Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with Paul's belt, and he said, The Holy Spirit of God says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And Luke says, When we heard this, We and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They were begging him, don't go. But then Paul answered, why are you weeping? And why are you breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now look on down in verse 14. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up. (laughs) And here's what they said. The Lord's will be done. Now, let, let me recapture this story because it's good. Paul knew that it was God's will for him to go to Jerusalem. He knew that. He also knew what was going to happen to him once he got there. That had been reiterated by the Spirit of God through this story told by Agabus. He knew that he was going to be bound both hand and feet. He knew he would be thrown into prison. He knew that he would be beaten and abused. He knew that he could possibly be put to death. But he was ready to go. His friends, however, loved him. They were like family to him. They knew that Paul was stepping into a lion's den. 
And they did not want to see that for their friend. They didn't want to see it for Christianity. They knew what Paul meant to the churches. They knew they couldn't lose this man of God. And so they begged him, please don't go. They tried to persuade him, Paul, don't do it. And even from this text we read, when he would not be dissuaded, we, speaking of Luke and the other followers of Christ, gave up. And we said, the Lord's will be done. And that right there is the operative phrase that I've told this entire story for you to, to get that phrase, the Lord's will be done. Church, listen to me. There comes a time in our life when we have to give up our own rights and our own desires, and we must come to a crisis point in our life and just say, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. Jesus said that. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So listen, I'm saying this to everyone in here, balcony included. (laughs) Those of you on the floor, there comes a time when we must decide. You know what? I'm going to stop living for money. I'm going to stop living for other people. I'm going to stop living for power and for pleasure. And I'm going to stop living for my own plans and my own ambitions. There comes a time in our Christian experience when we just give up our rights and we say, the Lord's will be done in my life and in my family. And you know what happens when we do that? We give up ownership of our lives. We get out from behind the steering wheel of our own life, and we get in the passenger seat, and we allow the Lord God complete control of our lives and our agenda. We say, the Lord's will be done. Have you reached that point in your life? You say, well, we, I've been saved. That's not what I'm talking about. But this is, this is the next step beyond salvation. When you got saved, you really didn't know all it was going to cost you to follow Jesus. You're hearing that today. If you mean business with God and if you really want to serve Jesus to the fullest potential that you can, you've got to die to self. You you can't be living for your own ambitions, your own goals, your own pleasure, to have power in your own life. Just as Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you must die unto Jesus and give him complete control of your life. I can remember as a little boy growing up at the West Side Free Will Baptist Church, I, I would hear this phrase quite often full surrender. Full surrender. Full surrender. Give Jesus everything and hold nothing back for yourself. A decision of full surrender. And and I don't know that you have to call it that, but you've got to call it something. And there has to come a time in your life where you identify with the cross of Jesus Christ. Where you say, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer my life. I belong to him. And that brings me to this second thought. Not only is it the crucified life, number two, it is the Christ life that we are to live. Uh, Look at this verse. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live. Okay, I'm still living. Yet, it's not me living. It's Jesus living inside of me. Are you following me? Paul said, I've, I've, I've died to the old man, but I'm still here. I'm still living. Yet it's not me living. It's Jesus living inside of me. It was Hudson Taylor who first called this the exchanged life. The exchanged life. And I think it has this idea. None of us can ever live the Christian life in our own strength and in our own power. Have you ever tried to do that? If you ever tried to live for Jesus on your own strength, your own, you can't do it. It is impossible. None of us in this room can resist temptation by our own sheer willpower and determination. None of us in this room can live as we should just by our own efforts. Only Jesus Christ can successfully live out genuine, victorious Christian living. It is, after all, his life. But when we come to him in full surrender, he invades our life by his Holy Spirit, and he begins living through us. He is in us, and he is living through us. So the Christian life is is not something that we try to accomplish on our own for Christ. No, it is something that he accomplishes through us and in us by his indwelling power, his Holy Spirit. So what does this really mean? In practical terms, what what am I talking about? Well, it, it means something like this. In a very real sense, I'm not preaching to you today. In reality, I am not preaching to you. Jesus is preaching through me. Now, can I, I'll do a quick little time out here and tell you this. I've tried to preach in my own strength before. I've, I've tried it when it's just Will Harmon standing up in front of people, giving a lecture or a motivational speak, and I fall flat on my face every time. You might be thinking, well, you're tripping up pretty good today, bud. That's not the point. The point is this, I pray every time I get up to speak, Lord, as I speak on the outside, I pray that you would speak on the inside of people's hearts. And so literally, quite literally, it is not me who is preaching to you today because I can't do that. It is Jesus doing it through me. Did you know that you can't parent your children through your own wisdom and your own abilities? You can't do it. If you try to do that, you're going to be a complete failure as a parent. But the good news is you don't have to. Jesus Christ wants to parent your children through you. And all you have to do is let him. Did you know that you cannot resist temptation in your own strength? You can't do it. Have you ever tried? You fail every single time. The good news is you don't have to resist temptation through your own strength. Jesus will do it through you. He will do it in you. He will do it for you. Are you allowing him to do that? Do you see what a different way this is of looking at things? You don't have to do it. Jesus will do it through you. Now, now there are at least two levels of this indwelling, outflowing life. And the first level being, you know what, you just live the Christian life. You live like, you let Jesus live his life through you. 
On down in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we have the fruits of the Spirit. Y'all remember that verse? Galatians 5, 22. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is, and then we have these nine characteristics listed of the fruits of the Spirit. I think they're going to, I think they're going to, here they are right here. They're not, they're not popping up. Maybe I left those out from my outline. I apologize for that. Here's what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is, and here are these nine things. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Nine different attitudes are listed here as the fruit of the Spirit. But what are these different attitudes? Well, they are attitudes and they are character traits. But whose attitudes and character traits are they? Well, they're the Lord Jesus' attitudes and character traits. These nine attitudes characterize the personality of Jesus Christ. He was known for these nine attitudes. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And the great teaching of this exchange life of Galatians 2.20 is that when we die to ourselves every single day and we put Christ first place in our life and we allow him to have control in our life, it is his own personality that is being reproduced inside of us. And so here's the difference. When, when, when people cut in front of me and I'm in bad traffic on, on I-40 going from Little Rock to Memphis, isn't that the worst stretch of highway there is? And I mean, you know, I, th- I think they need a, a designated lane just for 18-wheelers. Let the rest of us just, you know, go. And then, and then you have people from Oklahoma driving in the left lane and they won't get out of my way. People from Oklahoma say those crazy Arkansas, they, they're the ones driving in the left lane. And I get irritated and I want to yell at them and, and I want to have this emotion of, of anger at them. I really, you know what, Will, you can't do that. It, it, that's not a Christ-like characteristic. And I've died to myself that morning. I put my own flesh to death. So it's not will responding in kindness and in love and in patience and in faithfulness and in long-suffering and in goodness. It's Jesus doing it through me because I can't do it on my own. And that's the first level. You, You not only have to die to yourself and live for Jesus when you first wake up in the morning, you've got to do it constantly throughout the day. Amen? The second level in which the Christ life applies is this, not only in Christian living, but also in Christian service. Not only in in what we think and how we respond, but also in what we do with our hands and with our feet and how we serve in the kingdom of God. During World War II, Major Ian Thomas served with the British forces in Belgium. He took part in the evacuation at Dunkirk. But he became a far-famed evangelist and Bible teacher. He was saved as a teenager, went on to college in London, and and as a university student, he became involved in inter-varsity fellowship groups. He was was busy for the Lord. He was called into ministry, and he he was serving the Lord at a great capacity. Here's what he wrote. He said, out of sheer desire to win souls, to go out and get them, I was a windmill of activity, 
until at the age of 19, every moment of my day was packed tight with doing things for God, with preaching and teaching and talking and counseling. He went on to say, the only thing that alarmed me was that nobody was converted. He said, that gets a little discouraging after a bit, doesn't it? I would have to say yes. He said, the more I did, the less happened. And it was not a question of insincerity because I was sincere. He said, the prospects and the environment were good. There was plenty of ammunition and plenty of targets. But just nothing happened. I became deeply depressed because I really loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all of my heart. And I wanted to be a blessing to the fellow students on the university campus. But I discovered that forever doubling and redoubling my efforts, rushing here and dashing there, taking part in this campaign, taking part in that campaign, preaching in the morning, preaching at noon, preaching at night, talking to this Bible class, witnessing to this one, counseling with another one, did nothing. Absolutely nothing changed. And my soul was utterly barren. And I felt uselessness in all of my activities to the Lord. He said, thus by the age of 19, I had been reduced to a state of complete exhaustion spiritually until I felt like there was no point to even going on. <laughs> Busy for Jesus, but empty on the inside. All that changed on a uh, November night. He was in his dorm room and, and burdened with this. He fell on his knees and he cried out to God. And he said, oh God, I know that I am saved. I love Jesus Christ. I am perfectly convinced that I am converted. With all of my heart, I have wanted to serve you. I have tried to my uttermost, and I am a hopeless failure. And as he wept, God started bringing verses to his mind, one of which is Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And he said, God began opening my eyes and my mind and my heart. And another verse came to his mind, Christ, who is your life. And he said, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And God said to me, Ian, you have been busy. You're so busy doing all of these things, but you have been doing it through your own strength and your own power. You've been doing all of these things without me. He said, for seven years, I have been trying to work through you, but you have not allowed that. Open your heart up to me, son. Let me minister through you. And so he did it that night. He, he, he gave a full surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. He relinquished all of his life. And he said, the Lord's will be done. The next morning he was to go in and speak to a, a group of boys, give them a Bible lesson. And as he was walking down the road, he said this out loud to the Lord. Well now, Lord... You're going to speak to those boys today. Isn't that wonderful? 
He said, yesterday I was going to speak to them, but today you're going to speak to them. He said he got to that room, there were 90 boys in that class, and he said, I presented to them the truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel and the simple plan of salvation, and at the end of my discourse I said, you are dismissed unless you want to stay and receive Jesus as your Savior. You can stay and do that. He said, 30 boys stayed. And 30 young men received Christ that day. And that was the beginning of an extraordinary lifetime's worth of fruitful ministry. When he surrendered it all. <laughs> and he let Jesus work through him. Has something like that happened to you? I can remember when it happened to me. It was like yesterday. But it was really a long time ago. Probably 36, 37 years ago. God saved me when I was six, called me to preach when I was 10, preached my first sermon when I was 11. My whole life, I knew I was going to be a preacher. And as I was going through high school, I realized I needed to go to Bible college, and I'd made plans to go to Hillsdale. However, my first year, I stayed in Lubbock, Texas, and went to Texas Tech University that first year. Her name was Valerie. Thank God she, well, I mean. After, after that first year of college, I, I realized God wanted me at Bible college. And so right before I went to what is Randall now, Hillsdale, my pastor, Keith Woody, called me into his office and he said, William, he said, listen, I want to give you some advice. He said, there's a lot of young men who are called to preach and they go to Bible college and they, they go through Bible college and they get all their education and then they start serving Jesus. He said, you don't be that way. He said, as soon as your feet hit that campus, you look for things to do. You get involved in campus ministries. You go out to churches and you preach. Be used by God, even while you're in college. And so I took his advice. I went to Hillsdale, and man, I volunteered for everything. I got involved in every kind of ministry there was available to get involved in, became the president of ministerial fellowship. Every time an opportunity came open to preach at a local church somewhere, I was out preaching in that church. I became a prayer captain. I was doing everything I could do. In fact, I prided myself in the fact that I was more busy doing ministry than any other ministerial student on campus. Put a rose in my nose. But there was an increasing hole that was growing in my heart. And even though I was smiling on the outside, I was miserable on the inside. Until finally God arranged a meeting for he and I. Isn't it cool how he does that? I think it was on a Saturday. Everybody in my dorm, my entire dorm was gone. I was the only one in the dorm room on that Saturday, and I was sitting on my top bunk, and I was just talking out loud to God. Nobody else was there. They said, God, I'd appreciate it if you had let me in on something. I said, Lord, I am so involved in ministry. I'm doing all these things for you, God. And I started listening to all the good things I was doing for the Lord. I said, but Lord, I'm miserable. I'm empty on the inside. I, I don't understand. If, if I'm doing all of this for you, why am I so miserable? <laughs> and he kind of, Wes, he kind of spoke to me. I didn't hear a, a voice audibly, but God spoke to my spirit. And he said, Will, I appreciate all those things you've been doing, but you've not been doing those things for me. 
You've been doing them for yourself. And I tried to argue with God, but that never works, does it? And I came to the realization, you know what, God is right. When I first started, I was doing them for him. But somewhere along the way, I lost my focus. I lost my path. And I was no longer, I was just doing them for Will Harmon. I was doing them so that people would know me. So that when I graduated from Hillsdale, I'd get a big church to pastor. That didn't happen. He sent me to cemetery. I mean seminary. Close enough. And I can remember like it was yesterday, I jumped off of that top bunk and I got on my knees and I put my face to the floor and I had a full surrender to Jesus Christ. I said, Lord, never again, never again. I want you to work through me. I can't do this on my own. There's no way I can fulfill the calling of God in my life. And I don't, it doesn't matter if you're a preacher or whatever it is God has called you to do. He's called you to do something. You can't do it on your own. Part of this exchanged life is Jesus is living through me. I am responding as he would respond. But I'm also serving through his grace, through his mercy, and through his power. And the only way that can happen is this third trait that we see in our verse. Not only the crucified life and the Christ life, but there's the faith life as well. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Bible says this is our victory that overcometh the world. Our faith. Faith has to be activated. We are crucified and we live for Christ because of the faith that we have in Jesus. Romans 1.17 tells us that the Christian life is one of faith from the first to the last. For it is written, you shall live by faith. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, for he trusteth in thee. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord, the Lord, there is everlasting strength. You know Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Jesus said in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God... Believe also in me. The psalmist said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. It's all about faith. It's all about trusting Jesus. And when you trust him, you'll follow him. When you put your faith in him, you will die to self and you'll live for Jesus. I want you to look at this verse one more time. Galatians 2.20. I want you to read it with me, okay? Say this out loud with me. We'll, we'll read it slow, but here we go. Ready? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who and Have you done that? Have you done that? 
We've talked about the faith life. We've talked about the Christ life. We've talked about the crucified life. But you know what? There's, there's, there's a phrase at the end of that that describes what Jesus feels about you and how he feels about you this morning. Jesus Christ loves you. Do you see that in the verse? Jesus loves you. I, I, wish, I wish that it was just me and you. And we, we were sitting, I don't, it doesn't matter where we're sitting, crossing the table, drinking coffee, or eating a steak. That would taste pretty good right now. But whatever we're doing, we're just sitting there, me and you. And I could speak this truth to you and tell you, Jesus loves you. I'd, I'd like to tell everyone, Kenan, Jesus loves you. Vaughn, Jesus loves you. Jason, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Friend, Jesus loves you. Jesus, Jesus loves you. Jesus, don't doubt that. Know that. Jesus loves you. How much? Verse tells us he loves you so much he gave himself for you. You are the reason Jesus died on the cross, to forgive you of your sins. Have you accepted that gift of salvation? And let me tell you, if you're here today and you've never been saved, I, I can't think of a better way for you to start a new year, 2019, than to give your heart to Jesus. Here at Kavanaugh, we say it's as simple as ABC, accept the fact that you're a sinner, you are, believe that only Jesus can save you, he's the only one. And then confess him as savior of your life. If you've never done that, I invite you to do that today. But, but for the rest of you who are here, my encouragement for you today is to take Galatians 2.20. And take that 2.20 volt every single day. That you make this your life's verse. That you are crucified with Christ. You've died to yourself and you're now living for Jesus. He's living in you. You're allowing his power to flow through you in service and in love. And that your faith-o-meter <laughs> stays at a 10.